welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. I've been doing a series the last few Sunday mornings and I want to continue it again this morning. Um, We've called the series just simply being led by the Spirit and uh, the text that we've used to really launch the series off is a very well-known one. We could have probably used any number, but I chose Romans chapter 8 verse 14 and the Passion Translation reads that the mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And what the series is designed to do is to investigate what forms these impulses might take and, um, and how we might follow them. So the attempt or the idea is to try and make this as practical as possible and um, to take it out of the realm of the mysterious and, and put it into shoes, all kinds of shoes. Um, so far in the series, I've considered um, the scriptures and the role that they play in our being led by the Spirit, and I've suggested to you that they are the tuning fork that everything else has to be tuned to. Changing the analogy, they are the plumb line. And whenever you feel you're being led by the Spirit, Um, to do something that the Word of God clearly indicates is wrong, then strongly, strongly suggest to you that you go back and investigate that leading because the Holy Spirit who inspired the Scriptures doesn't inspire people to do something contrary to the Scriptures. So we talked about then, just so that you can remember it, uh, the canon, all right? The second thing we talked about is in impulses, particularly the conscience. And I talked about Um, the process of apperception, moving from what you do know into what you don't know, things that you're familiar with into things that perhaps you are not so familiar with. And we talked about inner impressions um, that may take the form of thoughts or words, that may take the form of mental pictures, that may take the form of feelings that you feel. So the canon, your conscience. This morning, I want to look at what the leading of God might look like as it comes through the community. So the canon, the conscience, the community. Perhaps the thought that others might have a role to play in our being led by the Spirit is not one that many of us readily entertain. We live in a cultural milieu, in a relational moment that is dominated in the West by a commitment to radical individualism. So in our particular culture, the needs and concerns of individuals completely eclipse the concerns of the larger community. And even in believing circles, most of us have been conditioned to believe that our relationship with God is pretty much a private thing, that it really does not have much in the way of implications for the people round about us. And we readily use language like having a personal relationship with God or of Jesus being my personal saviour, and we don't generally blink an eye in doing so. So for perhaps someone like me to get up and suggest that that isn't, that isn't biblical language and it isn't biblical thought would be a real shock to a lot of people in today's climate. Now, you know, I want to back up by saying, of course, the relationship that we have with Jesus is personal, but that's far from the end of the matter. You know, the question that sometimes you hear bandied around, can a, Christian, can a person be a Christian and not be part of a believing community? Would I suspect be answered by probably nine out of 10 Christians today with a resounding, of course you can. 
Of course you don't have to be part of a community to be a believer. I don't know whether you realize this, but for most of church history, that would have been a nonsensical question. It would have been a question that would never have been considered even meaningful, let alone be entertained and try and answered. So Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Paul conceives of the believing community as a body. And the idea that there could be individual body parts running around without being attached is, is ludicrous. And yet, yet we entertain that. And the thought that somebody might say you can't be a Christian unless you're part of a believing community would be shocking to most of us. It isn't shocking to most of church history, as I say. Martin Luther said, we are saved by faith alone, but, not, but the faith that saves us is never alone. John Wesley went on to say, the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. Now, I don't want to upset you first off this morning, but I tell you, we postmoderns need to grapple with the notion that God's very nature is relational. And we, his image bearers, must come to terms with the fact that we live in a culture that is radically individual. And that radically individual culture might be something that ensures we can't fully be what God intends us to be as part of believing communities. Uh, we might be comfortable, somewhat comfortable with being part of a loose network, but close community is generally not something that many of us have been part of or even want to be part of, truth be known. In a loose network, when somebody confronts us or there is some form of conflict, we can simply withdraw to our own private concerns. But you can't do that in a committed community. You can't do that in a body. In a committed community, you have to work out and work through those conflicts. Can I suggest to you that if in your life there is no interpersonal conflict, no elements of your character that are being confronted, then it's likely that you're not in close community. You may well be simply networking. There's a thought to muse on, all right? Being led by the Spirit is always intended to be worked out in the context of being a member of committed community. You, you don't have to bear that burden alone. You were never intended to. It's interesting that many other faith uh, families understand that better than perhaps we evangelical Pentecostals. The Quakers, for example, when facing a significant decision or a question about the leading of God, look to the community for getting help in a sense of where the Holy Spirit is leading them. And they form what they call a clearness committee, a clearness committee. The clearness committee is a group of friends appointed to help a member of the community find clarity around leading. And the clearness committee's job is to help that person discover whether there is clarity to move forward with the matter or whether to wait or whether to take another course of action altogether. And so the committee will gather, they will worship together, they listen deeply to the questions and concerns that are brought to the table by that individual. They question the individual in a careful, gentle, open-ended manner and reflect back what they are hearing. 
Now, the intention of the Clearness Committee is never to relieve the person of the responsibility of deciding the leading of the Holy Spirit. It isn't dictatorial. It isn't some kind of cult-like exercise where people are simply told what to do. It is the community helping a person see clearly what the Spirit of the Lord seems to be saying to them. Now, I I suspect that many of us would be deeply suspicious about submitting our guidance to such a group. We would probably say something to the effect that I I don't want somebody telling me what to do. They don't have to live with the decision. It's easy for them. It's easy to spend somebody else's money. I suspect, though, that our radical individualism has cut us off from a significant means by which we can be led by the Spirit. What I'm going to do to you is read a number of scriptures now, most of them taken from one book. I could have spread them out across a number of books, and we could take actually weeks, I suspect, to explore these in depth. I'm not going to do that simply because we don't have that kind of time available to us. But let me read to you a number of scriptures that speak to the benefits of having access to community wisdom. And then I want to hone in on one aspect of being led by the Spirit through gifted members of the community. So here's a list of scriptures. I've taken them from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 11:14. without good direction, people lose their way. The more wise counsel you follow, the better your chances. Proverbs 12:15. a fool thinks he needs no advice, but a wise man listens to others. Proverbs 15, 22, refuse good advice and watch your plans fail. Take good counsel and watch them succeed. Proverbs 19, 20, take good counsel and accept correction. That's the way to live wisely and well. And Proverbs 20, verse 18, form your purpose by asking counsel, then carry it out using all the help you can get. I think those passages probably speak for themselves and they say enough for us to get the point. When you're thinking and talking about being led by the Spirit, you don't have to do this individually. There should be people in your community that you relate to that you would be willing to go and lay the plans that you are thinking and having before them and say, give me some sense of what you think about this. Sometimes I watch people, you know, head off in directions and wonder who on earth have have they been talking to? Have they been talking to anybody It's incredibly easy to get caught up in your own plans and lose perspective. Have people in your community that you can can look to, that you can run things by, that you can talk to. Form, as it were, you don't have to call it this, but get a clearness committee of people that you trust who will tell you the truth and not just echo back to you what you want to hear. What I'd like to do from here, though, to finish this message is to talk about being led by the Spirit through prophetically gifted individuals within the believing community. What role might those kind of people play in our being led by the Spirit? Now, I'm assuming a great deal in this talk. I'm assuming that you believe in being part of a charismatic community where there are gifted people with prophetic ability. And if you don't believe that or are somewhat cynical about the possibility of people being gifted in this way, then you'll probably need to back up a few steps and, uh, and do some reading if you want to. I could recommend some literature for you. But I'm not going to try and prove a case for this. I'm assuming it, okay? 
Let me begin by telling you something of my own story. I know that many of you know that know this. I think I said this last week to the evening congregation. The problem with the problem with having been somewhere for 25 plus years is everybody knows your stories and have heard them 50 times, and you go to tell them again, and they kind of oh, not again, you know. However, there's at least three people here this morning who haven't heard this story. So the rest of you just laugh in the appropriate places, gasp with surprise. Please help me here, okay? Um, In 1990, Karen and I were pastoring in uh, Cambridge, and we'd been there for just a little over a decade and absolutely, for the most part at least, loved both the church that we were pastoring and the town that we were in. Um, The whole process started when... Imperceptibly, for a start, I never even noticed it, but over a period of time, I began to notice that I was incredibly restless. And that's not, that's not my normal personality, um, but, but I, would, I would get to work, and uh, I would start to read, I would end up putting the book down, I would walk and pray, I'd read some more, it tells you how long ago it was, but I'd listen to a cassette tape and then put that away. Those of you who don't know what a cassette tape is, ask your grandfather later, he'll tell you. Um, but I just couldn't settle and I'd find myself going home mid-afternoon, going for a run, thinking, what on earth is, the ro- is wrong with me? And I tried to obey the injunction of Proverbs. I thought, I need some help. And I, I rang a good friend of mine, many of you know him, I rang John Watson. And I explained to him what was going on. And John surprised me because he said, Don, do you think that God could possibly be setting you up to leave Cambridge? Well, that thought hadn't entered my head. And, and I responded sort of in that manner saying, no, of course not. No, it hasn't even entered my head. You know, why, why would you ask that? And he used a gardening term that Karen's often used, and, and, and basically, when you want to move a reasonably mature plant, you don't just dig it out and move it, because there's a really good opportunity or chance that the shock of moving it like that will kill it. So what gardeners do is they get the fork and they get around it and they loosen, they loosen the thing up and then leave it for a while. And then afterwards, they'll, they'll move it. And what happens is basically the plant gets used to being pushed and moved around and the shock isn't so great. So John was saying, when I left Auckland, he said to me, that's exactly what happened to me and it just sounds so familiar. Well, I thought, you know, no, nah, I don't think that's what's happening, John. But anyway, thanks for your advice. Suddenly, over a period of time, I received about five invitations. It was only probably six weeks, and I received five invitations to pastor other churches. Now, I have to tell you, that had never happened to me before. It was not like somebody was knocking on my door every four weeks asking if I'd go and pastor their church. But suddenly, there's these invitations coming, and I'm thinking, what on earth is going on here? So Karen and I sat down, and we talked about it, and we decided we'd better pray about what God was perhaps saying. So we went away for a month. We agreed that we'd take a month and pray about it, not talk so much about it. And then at the end of the month, we'd talk. At the end of the month, I had nothing and she had nothing. And we sort of, we weren't any further forward and it was like a bit confusing. But she said, well, you know, I mean, I love it in Cambridge. I'm not looking to move. And I said, me neither. So, so we basically said, oh, look, you know, forget it. We'll stay here. I will, I'll get through this period of whatever it is, restlessness, and I'll get back to a normal rhythm um, as, soon as, as soon as I can. 
About a week after that, I was in a, an Assembly of God uh, denominational conference, and uh, it, it was at the end of a worship time, and I was sort of contemplating all that had gone on in the last couple of weeks. I was just standing, kind of praying, had my hands up, and suddenly someone tapped me on my right shoulder. And I looked round, and there was a guy there I didn't know, and he said, you won't know who I am, but he said, I just felt like the Lord gave me a word for you. And, and his word was very specific. He said to me, I believe you're supposed to leave Cambridge. You're going to leave Cambridge and you're going to go to a city. And it was like, whoa, you know, given the context of all that had happened. He turned around and walked off. Now, I have to tell you, he didn't do it loudly or, you know, yeah, thus saith the Lord. He whispered it in my ear. There was a worship time going on. There was lots of ministry happening. There's nobody would have heard but me. And as he walked off in that direction, and I'm looking at him thinking, whoa, who was that lone ranger figure? Somebody tapped me on this shoulder, and I turned around, and this was a guy I did know. It was a guy who had in our movement some prophetic credibility. And he said, Don, this is going to sound really strange, but I believe that you are supposed to leave Cambridge and you're going to go to a city. And it was like, whoa. So, you know, I mean, I was, I don't think I remembered anything for the whole week. I came home, told Karen what had happened, and it was like, far out. I think the Lord is saying, you know, our decision to stay here isn't a correct one. A week after that, I was in another sort of regional gathering. In fact, it took place in the, in the room upstairs. And they had a visiting speaker from the, from the United States who was ministering. And right at the end, he pointed at me and he said, sir, are you thinking about leaving your church? And I, and I muttered something completely incoherent, like, yeah, I'm trying not to. <laughs> and, and he then said, you are supposed to leave your church. God is telling you, you are supposed to leave your church, the church you are presently in, you are gonna go to a city. Well, look, I know I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I, but I got it, okay? <laughs> and that pretty much settled the deal. You know, the strange thing was, um, and the interesting thing about this story as far as guidance is concerned, is that God did not tell us what city we were supposed to go to. And over the next months, we muddled and, and, and went round and round and round trying to work out what, what city the Lord was talking to, which is another story in and of itself, but the reality is, uh, as you know, we, we ended up here in Hamilton. Karen and I have had a number over our years, a number of experiences where we have been led prophetically like that. And we need no convincing about both the power and the benefit of hearing God's voice and experiencing his leadings as it flows through gifted individuals in the believing community. Now, I know the horror stories. You know, like all other avenues that God uses to lead us, there are potential pitfalls. And I could tell you some terrible stories that would make you want to run full speed from anybody who claimed to come to you with a purported word from God. I know those stories. But, but our, our problem is throwing the bathwater, you know, the baby out with the bathwater. What, what we do with incidents where things turn bad is not throw the whole thing out, but try and work out how we can get the very best out of this and weed out, as it were, the very worst. I, I think as long as we proceed with some caution and some safety rails in place, the prophetic can be a really powerful means by which God can lead us. 
And what I'd like to do is just basically give you some safety principles about experiencing God's leading through prophetically gifted people. The first thing I'd want you to see from the scripture is that there are various levels of prophetic operation and giftings. Now, I, I hesitate to say higher and lower, but I'm going to use that terminology. I hope that you'll understand I'm not trying to demean uh, what I'm going to call the lower uh, aspects of the prophetic, they are vitally needed as well. But at that lower level, if you like, or if you can think of a better way of um, describing that, tell me later, but um, there is what the scripture calls the gift of prophecy. Now, the operation of this gift is very rarely directive. They don't, at that, at that level, people don't come up to you and say, you're supposed to leave where you are and go to here. That's, that's not what happens. Quite frankly, beware of unknown random people who give you directions like that. You say, hang on a minute, Don, you just told a story of a random individual giving you a very directive word. Well, I found out about the very random individual and found out that he has in his own sphere a very credible prophetic ministry. And I probably wouldn't have listened to him if I had had only that one word. But the thing was, I had such incredible confirmation, multiple confirmations through other people. I've only told you a handful of the stories, the prophetic stories around our leaving Cambridge. There, were, there was more, and it was some of it quite remarkable. So we had multiple confirmations of that move, and I probably needed them because I wouldn't have gone if I didn't have them. But at the, at the level of the gift of prophecy, um, the Bible gives us the parameters within which that gift should function. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, He who prophesies speaks to men words of edification, exhortation, and comfort. That's the parameters of the gift as it functions at that level. Edify is to build up, exhort is to stir up, comfort is to hold up. These are words that, that keep us as a people moving, but are very rarely specifically direct, you know, filled with and freighted with direction. I think as you move to higher levels of this gift, where you have somebody who has a recognized ministry or in the prophetic, or even further on, is recognized as an, holding it, the office of a prophet, then you may get more direction in, in the words that are spoken. Those people, by the way, have a record of credibility in the prophetic. They have a track record. And so when they speak words of specific direction, you can at least mull over those with a sense of confidence. It doesn't necessarily mean they're always right. They can be wrong, and they will be the first to tell you. I see through a glass darkly, and sometimes they get it wrong. But you do need, when you're getting direction like that, some prophetic credibility. I'm sure many of you have read that story in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 where an army comes against Israel. King Jehoshaphat is panicked by the size of the army and calls together the people for prayer and, and seeking God. And um, some, a prophet stands up. And the prophet basically says to them, go out against them, God will deliver you, God's going to give them into your hands. And they respond by putting the musicians in the front of the army and going out, and it all happened as the prophet said. What most people skip over in that particular story is verse 4, where it says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there, Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of Jael, son of Mattaniah, the Levite, who was one of the sons of Asa. This guy had a record. 
They knew about his prophetic lineage and credibility. He wasn't just some random person who stands up in the middle of the prayer meeting and says, God's gonna give us the victory, go out. I tell you what, if, if, if I hadn't known him and I was one of those musicians, I would have been hoarse that day. I, I wouldn't have been out at the front of the army. I'd be thinking, who was that guy? I want some prophetic credibility before I put my life on the line like that. Just as an aside, if you are one of the people that in our believing community and feel like the prophetic ministry is something that God has called you to, then I would suggest to you that you don't bite off more than you can chew prophetically, at least as you're beginning. You know, in Romans chapter 12, verse six, it says, prophesy in proportion to your faith. And uh, I'd suggest that you grow in your ability to hear God's voice and allow credibility to be added to you know, your ministry before you go start speaking specifics. Um, there's a passage in the book of Acts that I think is really instructive in regard to being directed by the prophetic. Let me read it to you. It's Acts chapter 21, verses eight through 14. And it says, the next day we went to Caesarea and stayed with Philip, the preacher. He was one of the seven men who helped the apostles and he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. These, these girls moved in the gift of prophecy. We had been in Caesarea for several days when a prophet, Agabus, comes. Different animal, okay? Here's a group of people that are moving within the parameters of exhortation, edification, and comfort, and they're doing it with regularity and are building, if you like, I don't really like the terminology, but are building a CV, building credibility. But then comes Agabus. This guy's recognized as in the prophetic office. And he comes, he takes Paul's belt and with it he tied up his own hands and feet and he told us, the Holy Spirit says that some of the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will tie up the man who owns this belt. They will also hand him over to the Gentiles. After Agabus said this, we and the followers living there begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But Paul answered, why are you crying and breaking my heart? I'm not only willing to be put in jail for the Lord Jesus, I'm even willing to die for him in Jerusalem. Since we could not get Paul to change his mind, we gave up and prayed, Lord, please make us willing to do what you want. Interesting story. For a start, as I say, you see the difference between people who are moving in the gift of prophecy and the gift of a, of a prophetic office in Agabus. And it's not till Agabus arrives that, that um, you are getting specific directions being given to Paul. Um, I would want to say, as a general rule, it really does require seasoned ministries to be giving you specific directions. Now, I'm not suggesting that God can't use a novice, but generally it will be the exception rather than the rule. And when you're getting very specific direction that involves you know, some significant changes in your life, you need, more than an, you need more than a random word from somebody you don't know, okay? Um, let me point out something else in this passage with regard being led by the Spirit through the prophetic. There are, there are different aspects of hearing the prophetic and, and, and flowing in it. There are three things that we need to see here. Number one is the revelation that's given. Number two is the, ap, ap, the interpretation of that revelation. And number three is the application. That is what we do with what we understand. Let, let me try and explain. Revelation is the essence of what 
information is communicated to the prophetic person by the Holy Spirit. If you like, it's the raw material of the divine communication. It's what's heard or seen or felt, as we talked about last week. Last week, I also spoke about the space between the word of the Lord and the word that Jeremiah spoke from Jeremiah chapter one, verses one and two. It said, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, the words of Jeremiah that he spoke. There is a space between the revelation, the raw material, and the way that Jeremiah interprets and then applies the word that he hears. And it's the interpretation and application of the words that sometimes can get muddled. In Acts chapter 21, somehow Agabus sensed or saw or heard that Paul was going to be tied up and handed over to the Gentiles. That was the revelation, but that was only part one of a three-part process. And you can't stop there, otherwise you can end up getting incredibly confused. Sometimes the prophetic raw material can be in a form that really does require you to give it some thought. For example, in Genesis, uh, Genesis 41, Pharaoh has a prophetic dream, and in the dream he sees seven big uh, um, heads of grain and seven withered pieces of grain come, and they eat the seven big bits of grain. Next he has a dream, and seven fat cows are on the land, and seven thin cows come along and eat it up. That's the end. That's the, that's the revelatory raw material. But what do you do with that? What does that mean? How do you understand that? That's where the second stage comes in, interpretation. And the point in the process that you're trying to do here is, what does what I have seen, heard, or felt mean? When Paul is being tied up, does it mean he will literally be tied up? Or is that some kind of symbol? What does it mean when thin cows eat fat cows? And so often it's at this point that we can get things wrong. In Acts chapter 10, Peter has this vision of animals being let down from heaven in a sheet, and he hears a voice saying, Peter, arise and eat. That's the raw material of divine revelation. Peter enters into a dialogue with God saying that he's never eaten anything unclean up to this point, and he's not intending to start. But what he soon finds out is the revelation isn't about Jewish dietary laws. It's not about literal animals and literal eating. It is about the fact that God is about to move on the Gentile world, on the world that he has previously considered as unclean. And God is gonna sweep away the ideas of some people being clean and some people being unclean. So Peter's interpretation initially was quite a miss. He saw what he saw, but his, but his interpretation of what he saw was wrong and had to be adjusted by God. God had been speaking symbolically to him and he interprets it literally. And as I say, that's often where people go wrong. I heard of a prophetic minister giving a word to a person in a congregation and he picked the person out in the congregation and shared that the man had no integrity in his financial dealings which is a pretty bold thing to say, picking a person out like that. Well, the man naturally was absolutely horrified and very upset about this so-called revelation. He went up and challenged it. Well, the minister, the pastor came and sat with the prophetic person and this particular man and said, what was it that you saw? And he said, I saw a dark cloud, a financial dark cloud over this man's life. And he said, my interpretation was that he wasn't functioning in integrity. The application was, you better change your ways. 
Well, it turned out the man, in fact, wasn't being dishonest, but what actually happened was very shortly afterward, the man's business partner embezzled a very large sum of money for him, from him. You know, the prophetic word was supposed to be a warning. It was a warning rather than a word of judgment. The prophetic minister misinterpreted the revelation that he saw. And you know what? If somebody with a reasonable good record and of credibility can do that, you and I might think, holy mackerel, what chance is there of us getting it right? Friends, that's where community comes in. That's where you don't have to do that alone. That's where you get some people and say, help me here. What should I do? Should I act on it or not? In Genesis 41, Joseph was incredibly gifted in this phase of, of the process. Pharaoh has the divine revelation. Joseph says, hey, listen, the cows and the ears of corn, are, are, that's not literal. Both of them speak of years. There's seven ears of corn, there's seven cows. There's gonna be seven years of fullness and then the years of thinness are gonna come and you're gonna have seven years of, of drought and famine and at the end of those seven years, all of, all of the fullness is gonna be gone. That, that's, an, that's an incredible gift. People like Joseph and Daniel were um, incredibly gifted in this ability to interpret. I, I think a lot of prophecy goes wrong at this time. Some of you may remember a few years ago, there was a prophecy going around that New Zealand was going to suffer a devastating earthquake. And people were doing first aid courses and were stirring up, uh, storing up food in response to it. And the word effectively didn't happen as it was predicted. And, uh, you know, uh, after that, of course, people hear words like that and get cynical about it. But may maybe the earthquake wasn't intended to be understood literally. Maybe it was intended to be understood in a symbolic form. Actually, if you look at judgment in, 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 in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, for that matter, often it's depicted in terms of the sky falling and the mountains melting and, and the earth shaking. And it doesn't necessarily mean that those things will happen literally but they are often used to describe the fall of a kingdom, for example. So the wisdom in just taking time, not being bullied or rushed, but asking the questions, what does this mean? Need, you need to enter into that process. So much of the prophetic goes wrong when people give divine revelation and there's no interpretation, there's no application. That third, that third step is application. That... Revelation comes, interpretation means what does it mean, application means what am I supposed to do about this? And you know, if you get the interpretation wrong, then the application will necessarily be off track as well. Some people rush off to apply a word without any sense of, for example, timing being involved. I find it interesting in the passage in Acts chapter 21, they get the first two stages correct. There's divine revelation. They understand that if Paul goes to Jerusalem, he will be bound, he will be in trouble, but they get the application wrong because they understand Paul's gonna be handed over. They believe the application is, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Stay away because trouble awaits you. The application seemed to them to say, Paul, don't go. Paul stands up and says, no, no, that's not what it's about. I'm supposed to go. I know trouble awaits me. Through my journeys, God has spoken that trouble awaits me, but, but, I'm not, but I, when I get there, the trouble is just gonna simply be confirmation to me. I'm not going against the will of God. You know, when the prophetic comes with great clarity in a situation, you, you know the clarity is gonna be needed because there's gonna be cost. 
We talk about the clarity cost equation, that the clearer the word is, the more specific it is. You're going to need that because, you know, trouble awaits. Paul knew that he was going to be in trouble, but he understood it as confirmation and not as a directive not to go. All, all that to say, folks, there, is a, there can be a real dynamic in being led by prophetic word. There are dangers, and you need to treat this gift with, um, with deep respect and not, not flippantly. It, it can bless beyond measure as it has in Karen in my life. It can, it can also burn. So just in conclusion, what do you do when somebody gives you a word? Somebody says, hey, I feel like, and they give you a word. What, what should you do? Number one, I, I would take notice of it, and I would muse on it. I, I would think about it. Um, you need to determine, is, do you think this is the Lord speaking? And if it doesn't make any sense at the time, I, I would simply, as we say, put it on the back burner. All right, just, just put it to the side. Remember, wisdom that comes from above can be entreated, pure, peaceable, easy to be entreated. That simply means it's open to reason. You're not going against something by not doing it immediately. You can take it to the community. You can say, look, I've had this word that says I should resign my job and head off to you know, Africa. What do you think? Well, there's all kinds of questions I'd want to be asking. And you should be asking those questions and getting the community that knows you well ask the same kinds of questions. Secondly, if you feel it's the Lord, then receive it with faith. You know that 2 Chronicles 20 passage uh, about, about the, the prophet getting up and saying, go into battle. It says, if we trust the Lord God and believe that these what these prophets have told us, the Lord will help us and we will be successful. Receive it in faith. Don't undermine it with your words. You know, if you feel challenged by the Lord and he's saying some things to you, don't say, oh, you know, that could never happen. Or I know somebody else who had a word and that never happened. Don't, don't dig your grave with your words. Receive it in faith. Take, take it into your heart. Thirdly, note the conditions. Nearly always prophecy is an if-then proposition. If you will do this, then I will do that. If you will do these kinds of things, then the Lord will respond. If you feel it's a word from God, then find out what the conditions are. Set yourself to fulfill them. You've got to remember that pro prophecy is not an unalterable declaration. It is an invitation. And I know people who have had words spoken over their lives about great ministries and they've never come to pass. And in the end, they say, oh, well, you know, that was a load of bollocks. It wasn't even God. Well, I, you know, in some cases, maybe. In other cases, well, what did you do about it? Nothing. I just thought if it was God, it would happen. Well, no. You know, when you get an invitation to a wedding or a 21st, you've got to reply. And you've got to be at a certain place in a certain time to enjoy the party. If you just sit at home, well, you know, it wasn't even a party. Of course it was. You just didn't get there. You didn't respond. Fourth, wait with patience and meekness. Don't go rushing off to try and fulfill words in your own strength. And again, that's where community can be so vital. Just, whoa, put the brakes on, son. Slow, slow, slow. I think I've said this to you before, but I remember a family in one of the churches that I was part of, somebody spoke a word about being on the mission field. You know that guy went out that, the, the, on the Monday, resigned from the job, on, on, you know, took his kids out of school, put the house on the market, 
It was like, whoa, slow down. And he had to, because he wasn't ready for it. He hadn't done any training. There was, you know, sometimes people can give you a word and there can be a period of time, sometimes years. I remember someone speaking to me many, many years ago when I was at university and just a new Christian, you will have times on the mission field speaking. Well, I did, but the the time between that and when I first went was 17 years, okay? Now, some would say, that's not faith and patience, that's retardation. (laughs) Well, you know, I wasn't going to pull it. I wasn't going to try and force something. I just needed to wait and see it happen. And, and, you know, and God was in it, and it did, and it has. Hebrews 6, 12 says, then you would never be lazy. You would be following the example of those who had faith and were patient until God kept his promises to them. Faith and patience. Don't don't go battering the door down. Again, ask your community. I think it's the Lord. What should I do? What steps should I take? You know, just recently we had Chris Scobie here uh, as one of our missionaries. Chris was uh, as a missionary in Slovenia. He was a bank manager, and he came up to me one day and he said, "Don, I'm 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 struggling in my job. I I just I don't think it's what I'm supposed to do. I think that I'm supposed to make a mark somewhere in an overseas nation." So I thought I'm going to challenge this guy. So I said, "What are you going to do?" And we talked our way through it. The end result of that decision, by the way, was that he, he did resign his job. He went and trained. He put three or four years into a, a missions college in Minneapolis and Beth, in Bethany in Minneapolis. And from there, he went out. But, but he didn't do it alone. He did it in community. Um, he, he was prepared to step into it and uh, say, you know, what do I need to do? And, and there was big decisions involved, but he made them. You know, if you're going to invite prophetic words, you're inviting change. And you have to be prepared for it and willing for it. And if you think God's in it, then faith and patience, but, but change. Change is good. You go first. Okay? <laughs> Number five. Pray the words and promises in hard times. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, the Good News Bible says, Timothy, my child, I entrust to you this command, which is in accordance with the words of prophecy spoken in the past about you. Use those words as weapons in order to fight well. You know, between the promise and its fulfillment is, almost, is, always, is always a wilderness that looks exactly the opposite to the promise. Okay, hear me. Between the promise and its fulfillment is a wilderness that looks like the exact opposite of what you've been promised. Abraham and Sarah were promised children, and there's a wilderness, a barrenness that seems to mock the very promise that was made to them. And I want to tell you, you know, I, I don't know how many times people have come to me and said, I feel called to do this, and, and, and prophetic words have confirmed it, and I'll say to them, okay, you're going to need those words, because there will be a wilderness. And in the wilderness, you use the words that God has spoken to you to keep your head above the water, to keep your head above the, uh, you know, the troubles that are threatening to just sink you. Music team, would you come? Friends, God still has prophetically gifted people. He leads us through prophetically gifted members of the community. All I can say to you is be open. Don't be gullible. Don't be cynical. 
Be open. Hear the word of the Lord as it comes to you. So, so far then we've considered God guides through the canon, God guides through the conscience, God guides through the community. But God leads. Be open to it, okay? Let's stand, shall we? Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.